0: I invite you, if you have a Bible, to open up to Romans chapter 12. Um, If you don't, that's okay. I'll be reading it. Maybe some of you have it on your technology. Just to lay a foundation, last week we started this chapter. It's it's just a a really beautiful, um, meaty chapter of Scripture. And we... I just mentioned quickly that, you know, it, there was a major foundation laid before we got to this chapter, and, uh, and that I just summed up as the idea that we're reconciled to God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. So that those concepts are very important, that it's grace, it's God's uh, favor that we didn't deserve, that brought us into a relationship with him through faith in Jesus, Faith that He died on the cross as a sacrifice for my sins. Faith that, faith that He rose up victorious the third day, victorious over sin and death. And that I can make that my very own. And that salvation only comes through Christ. Amen? And the realities here should change everything for the disciple of Jesus. And now, uh, Paul starts getting a little more practical as he enters into this latter part of his letter to the church in Romans. Um, it should change how I think and how I view the world. And then as we'll see as we walk through this um, chapter, how I relate to God. And, and I think that was touched on in the early stages already in, in verses 1 and 2. How I re- relate to myself. How I relate to the Christian community. How I relate to my neighbor and how I relate even to those who oppose me. The, the Apostle Paul in the first two verses has laid a, another foundation for the application, we could say, that will come later on as, as we progress through this chapter. Uh, the backdrop of our lives, we talked about kind of the wallpaper that we have. You know, we think about the wallpaper on our computer screens and our, and our smartphones. Kind of the whole wallpaper of our lives should be the mercy of God in view of God's mercy. And then he says that our entire existence, our entire flesh and blood existence, should be concentrated, consecrated to God as, as a perpetual act of spiritual worship, a perpetual offering to God. And then, as, uh, as Luke has already uh, prayed this morning in that second verse, that we are to, instead of becoming kind of a cookie-cutter version of what, the how the world says we should live. We, instead of that, we are to go through this complete change, this metamorphosis from within, allowing God's spirit to change us, renewing our very minds. Now, d- now responding to God's work will have a drastic change, a drastic effect, and will change all of our relationships. And this morning, uh, we'll talk about the relationship that, for many of us, actually freaks us out more than any, and in some ways is the one that's the hardest relationship to seem to get right, and that's the relationship with myself, the inner relationship of how I see and respond to my own being. So we're going to be looking through, technically we'll be looking at verses 3-3 through 8 this morning, I'm going to start by reading from verse 1 through verse 3. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual or reasonable act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. In accordance with the measure of faith God Has given you. So we'll pause there. Paul begins verse 3 by saying, By the grace given me, I say to every one of you. And I think very much Paul is kind of uh, saying that I need to also practice what I preach, is the way we put it. I need to adhere to my own counsel. By the grace given me, I say to every one of you. Paul's position, if you know the story of Paul, his position as as an apostle, capital A, his position in the fact that he has given authority over the church, the position that he had been given exceeding revelations from God, was all God's grace in his life. He, he has. There's a beautiful chapter in Scripture where he goes through all his credentials, all his spiritual credentials, and he was a he was a Jew, and he was circumcised on the eighth day, and he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, and he had all this training and all this knowledge and all this. He was he was credential to the hilt, and he says, "You know what? Now I consider it rubbish. I consider it doo doo. Really, is a, it would it's." It's not a very polite word really there. I consider it poop compared to (laughs) what Christ has done in his life. The grace that Christ has brought in his life. His position, his authority, his place, all the other things he says I should throw away, they're garbage. It's only Christ's and me in Christ. It's interesting in First 1 Timothy 1.15. he says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. It's a pretty big deal if, if the Apostle Paul says that, right? Trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And he says this simply Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he adds, of whom I am the worst. By the grace given me. He says, I'm only speaking to you with authority because of the grace given to me in view of God's mercy on my life. So from that standpoint, Paul encourages all of us. He says, so now I say to every one of you that we must, that we must have A self-view that is sober. To view ourselves with sober judgment. What does the word sober mean? What comes to mind? What's that? Thoughtful. Thoughtful. Okay. Solemn. Solemn. Okay, so that's interesting. Not Not drunk. That's what I, yeah, that's what, I'm just like, not intoxicated. Yeah, yeah, well because sober, you know, not drunk. To consider myself was in sober judgment. And and it's interesting. I think someone said solemn. And this is no knock on that. Like I think our mind often goes to solemn and solemn can be a kind of an edge edge synonym we might say for sober, but it tends to have kind of a gloomy Perspective, right? We say solemn. I consider myself with kind of a solemn judgment. But but really, it seems like what Paul is talking about here is 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 a judgment that's absent from from kind of what we would say being affected by a foreign foreign substance, right? A a, a judgment that is clear-minded. We could put it that way. So to consider yourself with clear-minded judgment. So this should clue us into the fact. I said in the beginning that one of the hardest relationships for us to work through is my relationship with myself. So it should clue me into the fact right away that I probably have a hard time seeing myself what clearly. How many times have you had someone where they're like they see something in everybody else? Do you see what that person's doing? Can you believe that per- that's what that person's doing? And you scratch your head because you go, they do the exact same thing. But we have such a hard time seeing ourselves clearly. Apart from God's transforming work, we typically have kind of a drunk view of ourselves. But this should change as God's spirit renews our mind. And I think Paul is cluing us into this, right? He says, don't think of yourself this way. Instead, think of yourself this way. So you get this, it's this ongoing theme that he's saying, God is going to be transforming your perception so you can see and think clearly. We need not fear or protect ourselves... From clear minded perception. Let me say this most of you, myself included, most of us are freaked out to see ourselves clearly. We're scared. We're scared. We're scared of what we might find. But I don't need to fear when I am securely grounded in the love of God when I am securely grounded in my identity in Jesus Christ, that he says, I have made you my own. I have taken you from death unto life. I have moved you from darkness unto light. I have changed your position. You are mine forever. You are a son or a daughter, an heir of the kingdom forever. That is who you are. Amen? Amen? When you are in Christ, he is your Savior and Lord. So when I am firmly rooted in that place, I don't have to be afraid to see myself. I don't have to be afraid to come face to face with myself. I can deal with myself freely and honestly, but away from that place, it'll probably wreck you if you see yourself clearly. So apart from God's love, apart from the new identity I have in Jesus, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, I have a distorted view of myself. And one of these kind of inebriated views that I tend to have is to uh, is to estimate, estimate myself too highly. I have too lofty of a view, a self-view. Now, I don't know how much time you spent with... Uh, that one guy that shirt says, numero uno, numero uno, numero uno. The other guy says, I am always right. I don't know if you've, uh, you know, um, been intoxicated, struggled with that in your past, struggled with that now, um, no friends that have been uh, stoned or high or whatever. But generally, if you get someone who is um, under the influence, right, and they say this... Hey, watch what I can do. Something bad is about to happen, right? <laughs> hey, watch what I can do. You're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> because they don't understand their limitations. Their mind is clouded. They're not, they're not judging their limitations properly, Paul is saying that instead of having that drunk sort of self-view, you need to have a sober self-view, a clear-minded self-view. Sadly, at times, having too high of a view of ourselves can become more of an obstacle the longer we're Christians, especially if we're not living our life in view of God's mercy being the constant backdrop of our lives. Because when we come to Jesus, we come to Jesus like this. Jesus, I am desperate. You can't come any other way. You can't come like, hey, Jesus, let's bargain. Hey, Jesus, I'll give you a little, you give me a little. No, you come to Jesus desperate. I am a sinner. I I am in a place of desperation. I am in a place of great need. I need to be rescued. You are my rescue. That's how we come to Jesus. And he's like, I didn't come to condemn you, praise God, I came to save you. But the longer we're with Christ, if we're not keeping in view of God's mercy as the backdrop of our lives, uh, we, we tend to manage a little bit of morality. We, we, we tend to clean ourselves up a little bit. We tend to see that maybe we have some unique giftings. We might, as a, as a friend used the, the phrase the other day... Uh, be just uh, smart enough to be dangerous when it comes to scripture. And then in all of this, the view of God's mercy becomes quite dim and quite distant. And we estimate ourselves too highly. Because apart from God's mercy, this is what you're going to do. You're going to continually try and make yourself feel better about yourself. And you're going to do it in unhealthy ways. When I'm grounded in who I am in Christ, I'm grounded in the love of God, I'm grounded in my new identity, I'm ungrounded in the work of the Holy Spirit, that is where I find the solace of who I am. But apart from that, and if I'm not consistently walking in that, with that being the backdrop of my life, I am going to try and find ways to feel good about myself. And I'm going to make a mess of it, and it will be consistently at the expense of others. You will constantly injure, hurt, and put down other people so you could feel better about yourself. That's what pride does and conceit does and arrogance does and self-righteousness does. It works against every good thing that God wants to do in and through you. I I was trying to, I asked Cheryl if I quoted this recently. Sometimes as a preacher you're like, did I quote that like two weeks ago? Like, I don't know. And I I don't really care if I did or not because this is a really good quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is Pride, unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere, anybody know the quote? Anybody? Derek, you know? Are mere flea bites. Are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God, state of mind. So when we think, when we consider ourselves in sober judgment, we do not have too lofty of a view of ourselves. We know that it's grace, 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 and only grace. But the flip side of this is is to have kind of a drunk view of ourselves that views ourselves too lowly. And I, and I think this is accentuated as we move through even what we'll look at today because, you know, Paul will say, you're gifted, you're included, there's, there's great meaning and great purpose, but there's this other flip side of this temptation to view ourselves with perpetual self-loathing, that kind of sad, condemning, intoxicated voice in our heads that tells us we're not loved, that tells us we, we do not belong That tells us we could not get anything right. That tells us that you're so stupid. That tells us that you have no place or purpose in the world. But this is clearly countered by who you are in Christ. Clearly countered by for God so loved the world. And that means for God so loved you. Clearly countered by the work of the Holy Spirit within you. And that he wants to make you a unique and useful part of his salvation community. So allow me to make this clear. If you believe that it is somehow glorifying to God to hate yourself. Some people think that. Like, like I must be doing good by God if I really hate myself. I know there's stuff that it's like, you know, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. I I get that. But if you think it's glorifying to God to hate yourself, you have a distorted view of God and you have a distorted view of yourself. So Paul tells us that we must have a transformed self-view. Not lofty, not loathing, but seeing ourselves clearly. And that frees us to be humble. Not a false humility, but a true humility. To embrace God's refinement in my life. It frees me to love people in ways that I wouldn't be able to otherwise. It frees me from the kind of inward collapse... Of self-hatred. And it frees me from. The incessant need to prove myself. That is found in pride. I wanted to read a quick poem. Maybe maybe this would. Speak to some of you. This is actually. Amber pointed this out to me. When I was talking to her about some of these things. And uh, it was written. By patriarch. Athen. Agoras of Constantinople says this I have waged this war against myself for many years it was terrible but now I am disarmed I'm no longer frightened of anything because love banishes fear I am disarmed of the need to be right and to justify myself by disqualifying others. I am no longer on the defensive, holding on to my riches. I just want to welcome and to share. I don't hold on to my ideas and projects. If someone shows me something better, no, I shouldn't say better, but good, I accept them without any regrets. I no longer seek to compare. What is good, true, and real is always for me the best. That is why I have no fear. When we are disarmed and dispossessed of self, if we open our hearts to the God-man who makes all things new, then he takes away our past hurts. And reveals a new time where everything is possible. Let's read verses four through eight. Just as each of us have one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophecy, let him use it in proportion with his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So again, as, as Paul is building his foundation through this chapter, next he, we see that God has created us anew to fit into the larger organism of his body, the church, which is just a little small Slice of it represented here this morning and (laughs) is represented in various ways and countries and cultures of every sort all around the world. Amen? Having a sober view of myself makes me ready to see that I'm gifted by God in some ways but not every way. That I have something to offer, but not everything to offer. That I'm made to belong into a community that needs my gifts, but I am also belonging to a community in which I need their gifts. And that's a beautiful thing. The concept that I can healthily live out my Christian life in isolation is completely foreign. To Scripture. So Paul loves using this analogy of the human body, and he should, right? Uh, Psalm 139.14 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our bodies are, are these living machines that continue to confound scientists, the greatest minds of the world, the amount of processes that have to work together uh, with my brain and my nervous system and my organs and my muscles to even do the most basic of things, to, to do the things that, I don't even, that are involuntary, that I don't even think about my heart beating, my lungs, my, my lungs breathing in and out air, my, my blood working throughout my system it's baffling. The fact that you can pick something up, the fact that you can that you can walk down the street—I mean, just all of it—is beyond comprehending. I read that the human brain performs, and this is too big of a number for me to get. The human brain performs 3.8 quadrillion processes per. Anybody know? Second per second 3.8 quadrillion operations per second maybe for some it's like 3.6 you know I mean (laughs) (laughs) but that is still the the greatest supercomputers of our world as far as we've got still can only do a work in a fraction of that speed But this is what the body needs to do, because it has so many different, unique parts that need to work together in unity. Paul tells us that the church is like that body, each part unique, and each part needed and dependent on the others to function on the, at the highest level. People everywhere want to belong to something, right? That's that's not easy. That's not hard to figure out. They want to belong to something. You know, kids join gangs and there's a, you know, why, it might be it might be something really negative, it might be something but you know what the I'm a Harley guy, you know, so I'm going to grow the goatee and I'm going no knock on that. But it's it's like people just always want something to belong to. Go to the go to the bar on any given night, you sit at the table. People just want to belong. Will somebody hear me? Do I, do I fit in here? In the church, I'm meant to find a place of true mutual belonging. Really, what God, the way that God has wired us is to be a people that know him and live in harmony with him and know one another and live in harmony with each other. And the mutual belonging is biblically set squarely in the context of diversity. F.F. Bruce says diversity, not uniformity, is the mark of God's handiwork. It's so in nature. It is equally so in grace. And nowhere more so than in the Christian community. So if I find myself always gravitating to those who are extremely like me probably because (laughs) I haven't become comfortable yet with taking a good look at myself. I'm, I'm actually missing the fullness of God's work and what he designs for the community and diversity of his church, diversity in race, diversity in gender, diversity in age and experience and socioeconomic status and Background and personality and talents, and as we see in this text, gifts specially endowed by the Holy Spirit, purposely diverse. You don't need to look like the person next to you. Oh, I so wish I this and that and the other thing. God has made you specifically so you have something they don't, and so they have something you don't. But to have unity, here's the, here's the rub. To have unity within that diversity only happens when I, have, when I am viewing myself in sober judgment. You get it? He's building here. To have unity within diversity only happens when I'm consistently viewing myself in sober judgment. And with the backdrop of my life and view of God's mercy, it's grace, grace, and only grace. Grace. Get it? Otherwise, guess what gets in the way? Pride. Insecurity. The Life Application Bible Commentary says this, Even a superficial grasp of this one body imagery demolishes much of the individualized religion of our day. The overemphasis given to personal opinion... "...tends to create an all-too-fragile unity, given the real nature of those being brought together. As sinners, we are naturally divisive, so it is only through the presence and work of Christ that we can remain together. Only in Christ is there a basis for unity that transcends differences." Perhaps more churches and relationships between believers would be preserved if we ended every disagreement with a genuine question, are we still together in Christ? So I'm being encouraged to embrace that belonging to a collection of people, belonging, truly belonging, that is strikingly different and traits and abilities will mean that we're all better off for it. All better off than we would be on our own. And Paul emphasizes this point by reminding us of the diversity of spiritual gifts. And this list here isn't meant to be exhaustive. It's meant to be a sampling just like we find in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians chapter 4. And their purpose is meant to be outward. These spiritual gifts meant to be relational, equipping us to serve others, equipping us to serve others within community, discipleship, mission, for those who still need to hear the good news of Jesus. And again, as I've taught many times, these varying gifts are given to us purposely, differently in different measure to, to make us be have a healthy interdependence on one another. So rather than driving a wedge, it's meant to drive us together. I need you. That we're whole together in the body of Christ. The, the, the gift things that Paul talks of here, it, it, he really gives a lot of biblical scholars look at it as in two in two basic sets, See, there's kind of these speaking gifts and these serving gifts. These, these the speaking gifts are that would be prophecy and teaching and encouraging, and and just to take a quick minute before I wrap up on prophecy, um, prophecy is uh, not primarily foretelling or foretelling the future. We it's, it was used that way a lot by the prophets of the Old Testament, um, but but more than anything. And more broadly, prophecy is speaking a timely word from the Lord inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And in the Old Testament, we saw that very often, and some in the New Testament, that in ways that was layered. It was a timely word, but it was also a word for the near future and maybe even the distant future. But it, it's, the, the, the basic work is that timely word inspired by the Holy Spirit. And, and we should pause to point out that, that prophecy kind of comes in high and low forms. And the high form would be found in what we see in the scripture, in the Old Testament prophets and, and the apostles. And the low form would be represented through the age of the church, through many gifted believers. Uh, John Stott clarifies the difference. He says, words spoken by, by such prophets, and this is with the lesser prophetic gift, were to be weighed and tested. And he gives some scripture references for that. Whereas the apostles were to be believed and obeyed. So a prophet, a, a lower small p prophet, they would prophesy, say hey, it is a timely word for the Lord, that was to be weighed and tested. But the prophecy of the scripture of the Old Testament prophets, of the apostles, was not to be weighed and tested, it was to, to be received and obeyed. And no sifting process was deemed appropriate in their case. Another difference seems to be, have been that the prophets with a lesser prophetic gift spoke to a local situation, whereas the authority of the apostles was universal. But we should note that in places like 1 Corinthians 14, Paul still refers to prophecy, even in this lower form we might say, for lack of a better term, as one of the very high gifts of the church, one of the very high speaking gifts of the church. And through it, there's this clear display of the Holy Spirit being poured out in this age of the church. And the prophet Joel said it was for everyone in the church that he would be, gift, that would be gifted with it, both men and women. Joel prophesied, and Peter said it at Pentecost that this prophecy was coming to fruition. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men, men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. So there's other gifts here that he gets into and we just don't have the time to get into them. Other speaking gifts, teaching, the conveyance and instruction and application of God's revealed truth, encouraging, which can range from from exhortation to counsel to consolation, and then there's these serving gifts, uh, serving the ability and willingness to do practical tasks, to meet practical needs. Uh, Giving, contributing to the needs of others, benevolence, someone who is particularly gifted to joyfully contribute when somebody is in need. Leading, giving oversight, guidance, and nurturing along the way. Mercy, being moved by compassion to not just feel bad, but to actually enter in and help someone in distress. But again, these are just a sampling. Have you pursued the discovery of what your spiritual gifts are? Because God says if you belong to Christ, he has gifted you, and you belong, and you belong to the greater body, and your gifts are meant to be worked out within that body. Are you functioning and maturing in that giftedness? Are we as a church family creating an environment in which people can discover their gifts and function in their gifts that gives space for them to do so? If not, we have to continue to be creative of how to do that better, amen? Amen. But to wrap it up, in all this, I can only function in my giftedness in the most healthy ways when I am living my life in view of God's mercy and I'm allowing God to transform how I see and relate to myself. Not an intoxicated view, but rather a sober view, a clear view. Not in pride, not so lofty a view of myself, And not in self-loathing, having too low of an estimation of myself, but instead of seeing myself as a forgiven sinner. Grace, grace, and more grace. Firmly established in God's love, firmly established in his mercy, firmly established in the grace that I didn't deserve, Having been being made his child forever, being renewed by his Holy Spirit from the inside out, belonging to his salvation community, and gifted into his service. In Jesus, you're free. You're free to finally be able to come face to face with yourself and see yourself rightly and have God transform and use you in that place. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what I've just experienced as a beautiful morning a morning to lift my voice and I'm glad it's music to your ears Lord God I know my voice isn't the prettiest but I can lift my voice unashamedly with brothers and sisters in praise and adoration to you you deserve it Lord that's what we say in this morning you deserve it a morning that we can hear one another's joys and sorrows and, and lift up those concerns and praises again to you, trusting that you are a good, good Father. A morning that we have your word that we can rely on, that changes us when we allow it, when we cooperate with it and the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord God, that you help us to put this word in motion. That we continue to live in view of your mercy and live in sober judgment of ourselves. Not too high, not too low, but understanding who we are in you and then allowing you to work and transform us from the inside out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.